Hello and welcome to another episode of the Social Review Podcast. I'm your host Jasper at Jasper underscore CH on Twitter and joining me this week we have got... Hi, I'm Maliha. I'm at Maliha Rez on Twitter. Hi, I'm Anisha and I'm at Anisha Farouk on Twitter. Welcome. Um, in this episode we are going to be talking about um, the Labour Party as a party of political liberation for... Um, uh bme groups um about uh how labor works and operates as a political project to advance the interest and causes of minority groups whether it does that successfully whether it lives up to the ideals uh laid out in its constitution and its founding principles um and of course rooting that within within uh contemporary events relating to uh the leaked report from last week uh the new shadow cabinet um the general state of British politics and so forth. Um, and super excited we've got these guys on to talk about it uh, with us uh, for this podcast. We were supposed to be joined by um, Jake at JAA Cable on Twitter, but unfortunately technical difficulties have got in the way. Um, but we're going to be picking up on some of the things he would want to talk about regarding um, Windrush and general um, anti-blackness within the Labour Party. So listen out for that let's just dive straight in um does labor live up to its ideals as a political liberation project what do we think um i think the party's kind of role in upholding racism in um specific areas is quite unsurprising um even in the leaked report obviously i won't go into too much detail but some of the language used and stuff is quite unsurprising um especially for ethnic minorities because we hear it every day um we know that people talk about us in the workplace in that way um and it's just you know i think symptomatic of wider society as a whole and obviously political parties um reflect what's happening um in society so it i would say that the label attached to labor that it's an anti-racist party is one that it can't and has never lived up to and i think that might be controversial for some and i do think people do kind of put labor on a bit of a pedestal because it is the left-wing party and therefore it must be good on liberation politics but that's not necessarily the case and we see this in everyday occurrences we see it in the fact that the party is being investigated for um anti-semitism by the ehrc um and we see it in the fact that obviously um the leaked reports show that there is institutional racism at the very heart of the party um which is obviously disappointing because for a lot of us the labor party is sort of our only option um and that's kind of the sort of like the fact of it but i feel like labor can neglect the fact that obviously a lot of ethnic minorities look to support labor because um it's sort of the lesser of the two evil options i guess um so do you either work with people directly oppressing you like the tories or do you work with the labor party who aren't necessarily directly oppressing you but still continue to uphold structures that oppress you um so i would say 
the Labour Party has a long way to go and I would say that it's just a reflection of society as a whole rather than something that's specifically a Labour problem. I agree that the Labour Party isn't an anti-racist party um, but I am a member because I believe that it's the party that um, is closest to my views and um, it's the best tool that I have for affecting positive change in society which includes um, you know, freeing um, people of colour of racist and oppressive structures. Um, but yeah, the, the Labour Party, I, you know, as Maliha mentioned, is being investigated for institutional anti-Semitism. Um, and then the recent leaked report that came out, which highlighted um, lots of remarks from various members of the Labour Party, um, you know, at the heart of the party, um, saying, you know, very, like, quite explicitly racist things. Um, and then looking at the history of the party, um, where under New Labour, we introduced um, detention centres. In the party's history, we've also seen um, anti-immigration um, legislation being introduced. Uh, for instance, it was the Labour Party that introduced a Commonwealth legislation to prevent, I think, South Asians in Kenya orating to um, Britain. Um, and I guess relating this back to my own experiences, I've received, you know, online abuse um, and of like a racial nature from party members. So I know that Jake mentioned, obviously, he couldn't be here, but he wanted to discuss um, Keir Starmer's relationship or rather a strange relationship with um, representation politics and the fact that there isn't a single black person in the Home Office. Um, obviously, I'm going to caveat this with the fact that I'm not um, a black woman, I'm an Asian woman, so obviously my experiences of the Home Office um, in relation to my family are different, um, so I'm aware that I can't speak on, on everything, but um, I'll try and be kind of as to the point and factual about it as possible. Um, I do personally think that it's shameful that um, in the time of the Windrush scandal, um, we as a party in opposition lack representation from the very kind of communities impacted by it. Um, and I think that's quite reflective in Keir Starmer's appointments, um, which in my opinion were quite ill-judged. I mean, we had Belle Ribeiro Addy, who was doing quite powerful work um, very early on um, in her career as an MP, as shadow immigration minister. Um, she was supporting migrants and challenging the hostile environment head-on and I think her insight was so valuable um, but I think quite unfortunately in a, in a sense um, she has been replaced by a white MP and you know I think for a lot of people that might not seem that serious but the fact that we've got the Windrush scandal and we don't have anyone in the Home Office that has either direct experience of it or knows or has family that have um, is just quite shameful. I think if we cast ourselves back to the 1980s when we first um, sort of had the UK's first black British MPs, so um, the late Bernie Grant, Diane Abbott and Paul Botang, um, it's very interesting how obviously the party has grown in its size and also representation has um, obviously improved in Parliament. There are more um, BAME MPs than there were before. Um, but 
the systematic racism still exists, the type of issues that they faced in the 1980s still exist now in the 2020s. That's so weird to say. Um, you know, even simple things like all the black MPs who have stood for deputy leadership in the Labour Party from Bernie Grant's time have been unsuccessful. Um, you could say it's down to their politics, but also you can see that there's an element of anti-blackness in their treatment and um, in other areas too. Obviously representation is important and I think that's something that we all need to constantly reflect on. Um, like I was looking at a picture of Bernie Grant, um, he was at a protest in support of Joy Gardner back in 1993. Um, Joy was a black woman who was a mother and a mature student um, who was living in North London and was sadly killed after being detained by immigration. Um, and that sparked off a huge kind of um, backlash against the Home Office and um, immigration and MPs like Bernie Grant were kind of at the heart of the movement of supporting Joy's family and ensuring, um, you know, the voices of communities weren't silenced. And I think um, it's really important to remember cases like Joy because I feel like no one shouts about these cases in Parliament anymore um, and that the voices of the community are being silenced because no one is essentially willing to challenge them directly um, or as directly as those who would have, if they've experienced the pain um, of people like Joya's family. Um, and I think that's where representation is important. Like, there's a difference between a white MP recalling a story they've, re like, read in a newspaper and a black MP recalling experiences their family members have had. Like, one of them is sort of looking at um, oppression through, like, a lens and then the other is, like, looking at, at oppression directly because they've experienced it, their family has. On the topic of Joy Gardner, like, and seeing um, Bernie Grant's old photos, it kind of reminded me of a poem that Benjamin Zephaniah wrote. And I think it's one of those poems that you really wish they read out in Parliament when they're passing um, laws that discriminate against our communities because it's the reality of what happened to her. Um, so this is a poem by um, Zephaniah um, and content warning about it as well. Um, it's quite graphic in its imagery. They put a leather belt around her, 13 feet of tape and bound her, handcuffs to secure her and only God knows what else. She's illegal so deport her, said the empire that brought her. And I think, you know, this poem raises so many sort of points that politicians are so reluctant to acknowledge and talk about unless they're truly from that background and unless they've had those experiences just um following on from that uh it's it's a fantastic poem um uh do you do you think politicians who aren't from those backgrounds um are reluctant to talk about it because 
And I think this is a sort of recurring theme in politics and a recurring theme of things we do talk about on the podcast. Um, a reluctant to make the connection between policy making and human lives. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think because, you know, we can see it with the way that people are speaking about the coronavirus um, and how we're being told to not politicise this when, of course, it is political what the government's response is to a crisis like this. And we're not really... I, I don't think that there's been enough discussion of the fact that a disproportionate number of the deaths um, from coronavirus have been um, from BAME communities, which highlights the difference in treatment that BAME um, individuals will receive compared to what um, non-BAME people will receive. We can see how a disproportionate number of um, frontline workers are from BAME backgrounds and that's obviously linked to economic circumstances and so on um, but they're putting themselves at risk um, to keep everyone else safe and they're not being provided with um, you know the equipment they need to keep themselves safe like PPE and so on um, and the government's response to this is you know of course it's political but we're being told that we can't politicize it even Labour's taking um, this line where they you know, every time um, a shadow minister speaks about um, about the Tory government's response to the coronavirus crisis, they hedge it with the government's trying to do the best it can, etc. I think also an issue is um, the lack of education on Britain's colonial history and its part in slavery also plays a huge part in people upholding racist structures. I mean, like everything from our physical structures, like buildings to societal structures, such as the economy, can be traced back to um, the oppression of ethnic minorities. But obviously, education isn't necessarily the whole solution to the problem, and it doesn't change attitudes overnight. But obviously, the lack of it is noticeable in the British curriculum in particular. I mean, the treatment of ethnic minorities in this country is rarely discussed unless they're at the fore of standing up against the state through civil disorder, for example. So a lot of students learn about the riots in the 1980s, but they never sort of learn about the state-led violence against ethnic minorities or, you know, community-led violence against minorities. Um, so, like, just before I came onto this podcast, I was looking into a bit about how, obviously, ethnic minorities were treated um, specifically after the war. Um, and I realised that none of us were taught about lynching in Britain, um, whereas we're taught, taught about, you know, obviously, America's segregation, slavery um, and racial violence, but never about Britain specifically. Um so, like, say, for example, in 1919, we had the race riots um, and it was mostly based in seaport areas like Liverpool, um, Salford, Cardiff. Um, and there was severe tension between white union workers and ethnic minorities, um, which, you know, resulted in a lot of ethnic minorities being abused, lynched and loads of other horrendous things. Um, but... These are kind of the topics that never discussed in education, um, in the school sense, but also in political education. So when we talk about trade unions, we don't, um, you know, talk about 
the fact that white union workers were responsible for the deaths of a lot of ethnic minorities. We don't talk about the fact that racism still exists in trade unions. So these are kind of issues that political education tends to neglect. And I think that really shows in a lot of like comments that people um, in the Labour Party and other political parties make because they're unaware of this sort of history. Um, and obviously, you know, that's why education is important, but ultimately it's, you know, a part of solving the problem. It's not the complete answer to it. There's obviously many other aspects um, that play into it. And I think it's something that definitely won't happen overnight. Yeah, I think the um what you said about education i 100 percent agree i think even within the labor party's own history it's really important to be challenging um these historical fictions you know i mean we try we try to do that in our articles on the website as well um you know exploring um as you were talking about the the reality of race relations in in uh things like the atlee government for example and trying to sort of strip away the nostalgia for those um earlier figures and earlier governments um on the on on that note of education as well i think what you were saying about how how we learn about uh american history with regards to race but we don't learn about the british empire and and britain's past and present relationship with race is really interesting because i think it seems like that can be sort of tied into what we were talking about earlier about political unwillingness to talk about these issues and it does seem like that there is a there is a general unwillingness, a general uh, reticence to talk about our history of race, uh, whether it's in our curriculum or in everyday political discourse. Um, and a sort of unwillingness to acknowledge acknowledge Britons and our own prejudices biases um and abhorrent actions what why why do we think that is 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 it is it stubbornness is it ignorance is it is it guilt yeah i think there is a sort of um like i think what a lot of people do is sort of think oh my god like it's such a british thing to do like you know we don't want to like acknowledge the past we kind of want to move forward and you know um like be the great britain we are and you can't see my quote marks but they're there (laughs) but i think the issue is is that there's almost a notion that racism is only sort of inherent to evil people and that you know if you're a good sort of british person you can't possibly be racist but i think notions like that are so deeply damaging because I think people don't realise that we all have um, you know a part of that guilt to carry I think of upholding racial structures Um, we live in a society that has deeply ingrained racist structures so we have behaviours that are ingrained within us that we have to unlearn Um, I know from my own personal experience that I witness a lot of anti-blackness in the South Asian community um so I feel like that's something that um a lot of people in my community have to be cautious of um so I think a lot of people 
are very kind of reluctant to look back and sort of reflect on the past and think okay like you know there's a history of this we might still be guilty of this um purely because they don't want to be branded as this dirty word that is a racist they want to you know be clear of it um and I think a good sort of book to read um and I really do urge anyone that's sort of interested in racism or even if you're not like you really should read this book um it's why I'm no longer talking to white people about race by um Renee Edo Lodge and she really sort of tackles it head on where she kind of looks at the fact that you know um white people in particular are very reluctant to look into their past to look into um you know their sort of historical treatment of ethnic minorities and sort of pulls that into the future and says that look like you know you're still reluctant to talk about it and you're still reluctant to um kind of own up to the fact that you have a level of privilege that you need to be aware of and I think you know Renee has done a good job of sort of confronting that head-on without sounding condescending I think a lot of people um especially kind of white people um you know when the topic of race does come up it's almost like there's a fear of you know them contributing makes them again this dirty word that is a racist um when in reality like everyone should be learning about these these things they should be you know listening obviously you know if you're in a space that's for BAME people don't talk over them listen but nothing is stopping you from learning about your history and I think we really need to sort of um get away um from the idea that you know Britain should be moving forward that Britain shouldn't be um you know recalling facts from its colonial past I think it should be constantly I think it needs to always reflect because you know things like police brutality um the oppression of ethnic minorities by the home office like this isn't stuff that's developed overnight it's stuff that has been happening for centuries you know in different ways um and if we don't look back at history then we run the risk of repeating history constantly and that's what's happening um every day yeah i think it's really important um you know if we're ever to overcome um racial and oppressive structures that everyone needs to recognize that they have um implicit biases like growing up um in i think i think the issue of colorism is really massive in south asian communities um and i think it you know feeds into a lot of the anti-blackness in south asian communities growing up um i was like always taught that lighter skin was more beautiful um and there are so many um you know skin lightening products that are pushed and you know growing up as a young kid that i think that really affected my um my views on you know beauty and i, I think it definitely made them more eurocentric and i still carry some of those doubts in my head i guess um i can find myself comparing my looks to that of someone who is you know deemed by society to be typically beautiful or something and you know the people that are often deemed to be typically beautiful are 
white, skinny, um, you know, have light faces, that kind of thing. So I found it really interesting, but also a bit upsetting that the Conservatives have obviously pushed for a report and investigation to be done into the disproportionate deaths of BAME people um, due to the coronavirus um, pandemic. Um, and obviously the only MP that really pushed for it was Marsha de, um, Marsha de Cordova. Um, and I think it's really upsetting that people um, weren't really elevating that enough and weren't really discussing that enough. Um, and given that it's such a topical issue and given the rising deaths of um, BAME key workers, it's so important that the party in opposition um, should be pushing for you know investigations into this. I don't necessarily trust the Conservative government to conduct a fair investigation into it. Um, I think the Labour Party should be making sure that there aren't any biases that leak into it. Um, but it is important that, you know, we actually support calls that Marsha has made, that other um, BME MPs have made, um, because at the moment it just seems that it's people in our communities that are screaming um, and shouting about this. Um, and no one is supporting us and that's really disappointing so uh just just to link back with um something which we were talking about earlier about um uh that 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 idea of of guilt and, and acknowledging history I, I think that that's also really clear uh, clearly evident within the labor party itself which is, i suppose is why we're doing this podcast um i find it bizarre I constantly find it bizarre and we talked about this on the last episode of the podcast as well in relation to uh, anti-semitism I find it bizarre that a political party which is established as as a political liberation party for the advancement of minority causes um, which is supposed to be about representation which is supposed to be anti-racist frequently fails in that mission in sometimes completely egregious ways as you know as, as you guys mentioned the leaked report it was blatant in its racism and in relation to anti-semitism the ehrc report um and Malia, you mentioned about not wanting to acknowledge guilt about not wanting to think not wanting to consider oneself as racist about thinking that oh racism is only something that evil people do and i think there's maybe a point here to be made about morality in relation to the labor party and that does labor see itself as a moral force and if something is a moral force then it can't be racist so therefore the labor party can't be racist and therefore maybe maybe part of it is complacency that it then allows racism to fester in its ranks? What do you think? One thing that um, Jasper kind of said in uh, an assumption you made was um, that Labour was founded to represent, you know, minority groups and so on, um, which I guess I would counter. Um, I think that the Labour Party was founded to represent the interests of the working class. And when it was founded, this country was, you know, significantly more white than it was. Um, Jonathan Hislop writes about it a lot. Um, white labourism, um, which was really like quite common in the international labour movement um, across the British Empire, 
before the First World War, um, where, you know, uh, socialists and so on, they advocated for common ownership and workers' democracy and so on, but were also rabid nationalists and imperialists. Um, and they didn't really include, um, I think, minorities and, you know, the full international working class as part of their, uh, as part of the group that they advocated for. Um, so, yeah, I guess, like, I want, you know, I think one of the reasons that Labour isn't, it doesn't do so well on anti-racist issues is that in its founding, I don't think it was set up explicitly for that reason. Um, I think there are, I, I, I don't think that, you know, social democracy or socialism are, or at least like a lot of socialists and social democrats aren't, you know, inherently anti-racist. I completely agree. I think also the Labour Party has to acknowledge that, you know, a lot of its structures are almost entirely aimed at, you know, white people. Um, and I was reading an article that Diane Abbott wrote in 1985 um, on essentially why Labour needed black sections. Institutionalised racism within the Labour Party and the increasingly glaring contradiction between Labour Party reliance on the black vote and the fact that the structures of the Labour Party are almost all white. So I think, you know, that, you know, it's from the 1980s, but it rings true to this day. So a lot of um, the structures here that we see, you know, from the top down are primarily aimed um, to support white people. Um, and obviously that's a reflection of wider society again. And I think um, if Labour really wants to be an anti-racist party, it would begin to address these issues. But obviously it can't address these issues unless society does it first but obviously that's not stopping Labour from you know taking the first stand. I think in 2019 or something um, the number of um, BME candidates that the Labour Party selected for um, target seats I think it was just like six six BME candidates for 99 target seats um, and I think that just really shows that that that, that shows that um, BME representation and liberation aren't necessarily a priority for the um, for the party. I, I think this really highlights the need in the Labour Party for all BAME shortlists. Like currently, I think the law only allows for all um, women shortlists or something like that. But I think that this is a point that the Labour Party should be pushing on. The issue of all BAME shortlists is, I guess, legally contentious right now as the law only states that um, all women shortlists are legal but I do think that this um, this is something that the party should be pushing and it would it would improve um, representation across the party and you know obviously representation in itself isn't the end um, isn't the end goal it's it's liberation but I think it does it, it does go some way if you have um, BME individuals um, that get to be in rooms where you make decisions and influence policy and so on yeah absolutely um and and building off of that um on the the what what labor should be pushing for are there would you say there are things which labor is pushing for now which labor shouldn't be pushing for with regards to um its 
attitudes towards race? What do you think? Yes, I do think that the Labour Party does currently do this. Um, we can see that in, with regards to our attitude towards policing, um, which I think, you know, even under Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour Party was um, calling for um, more policing and so on, and putting forward this idea that, you know, more police is more socialism or something, um, just because it's from the state. Um, we can see that policing and prisons um, cause disproportionate harm to ethnic minority um, individuals, uh, particularly black people. You know, we can also see the way that the Labour Party talks about uh, immigration. We, I, I remember um, Rebecca Long-Bailey doing this at the Open Labour Hustings. Um, she was talking about the economic value that immigrants bring to um, to the UK and so on, um, rather than, you know, immigrants having intrinsic value, like, just by being humans, um, rather than, you know, justifying immigration on the basis of them being a, of immigration being a net economic gain to the country, even if we calculated it somehow and it ended up that um, immigration reduced GDP or whatever, I don't think that that, that would not that wouldn't be an argument against it wouldn't be a valid argument against immigration in my opinion i think to an extent the party does take um certain groups like the working class vote um and the vote from ethnic minorities for granted um because you know we've stayed throughout issues that say for example the new labor government um supported that were deeply damaging for our communities so a prominent example being you know the Iraq war and various other foreign policy decisions um and obviously as we've mentioned earlier on in the podcast about like immigration and um you know new labor's role in implementing some you know harsh policies that have impacted our communities and i think if Labour continues to sort of take these votes for granted, it's only a matter of time before people either turn away and go back to sort of more community-led organising or they lose faith entirely. And I think this is something um, that Labour have to be really mindful of when they're, you know, implementing policy and when they're advocating for certain aspects of um, policy as well. Um I mean, you know, kind of policing, like if you look back at the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, um, which, you know, outright defined police as being institutionally racist, I think the Labour Party should be, you know, bringing things like that up. It should be challenging um, the systemic sort of racism in policing. um, And it's something that it, for some reason, has gone quiet on and instead has gone back to the sort of rhetoric that policing is good actually when no actually it isn't um there are flaws within it um that have to be discussed one thing i think that we often like are guilty of slipping into is sort of homogenizing the bame vote um and kind of assuming that it, it that the bame vote is um is labor's obviously um at the like in the 2019 election um we saw you know i think it was an estimated six percent of british jewish voters voting for labor um and the conservatives showed um modest progress with british chinese and 
Indian voters, whereas um, I think Labour kept like popularity with Black, British, Pakistani, and Bangladeshi voters. Um, and I think I think sometimes on the left, our analysis of um, you know the Bain community or something is quite weak because. There, I, I saw a tweet yesterday or something like that saying that there is no such thing as the BAME community. There are um, there are lots of groups within that that have responded differently to the race politics of the Labour Party. I think that we should, like, I don't know, just maintain awareness of that. Yeah, I think it's been quite difficult in the last couple of weeks um, seeing a lot of good sort of friends um, that have been you know, staunch supporters of the Labour Party leave um, because of the issues that it's obviously had to do with institutional racism um, and anti-Semitism. And, you know, them leaving is completely valid and no one should feel pressured to stay in a party they're not, you know, comfortable in. Um, but obviously I've taken the decision to stay um, purely because I, you know, I feel like I have the energy um, to sort of fight and kind of try and fix some of the issues that we have with representation um, and ultimately campaign for a socialist and anti-racist um, Labour government, hopefully, eventually. A few of us have decided to kind of take the anger and upset that we felt and kind of use it to sort of organise instead of, you know, morning um but obviously morning is still valid like you're allowed to have um your own emotions relating to this issue and that's completely understandable um but we've sort of created a group um it's not necessarily like a labor party thing like our main point is that we want to kind of unite um socialists and have like a space um where people of color feel safe um so you know, we've created a group called Socialists of Colour. It's still kind of um, in its early days and we're not really, um, you know, pushing for anything as such yet. But the whole point is, is that we sort of want to improve um, representation, not just in the Labour Party, um, but within wider society and also, you know, push for policy that, truly represents our communities. It's going to be a group that basically focuses on um, challenging policy and creating radical policy that obviously um, has people of colour um, at the heart of kind of policy de decision making um, and it ensures that no one sort of gets left behind. Um, so it's not just a Labour thing, um, people are welcome. Um, obviously, if you're a socialist person of colour, um, and I think it's important that we have spaces like that to sort of um, ensure that every voice is heard and that everyone has a space that they feel comfortable um, talking about issues that impact them and their community in. I'm just trying to think of a line that we can sort of go out with on a bang. Um, I'm just trying to there think. doesn't need to be a line. <laughs> can it just be, oh God. <laughs> <laughs>